welcome to the joyfulness broadcast okay today i've got daniel levin with me just want to read you a bit about daniel from his website took some screenshots this is very exciting so there's a few things that stand out to me <laughs> one thing 10 years a monk so this is what it says i left one day before being ordained a rabbi in jerusalem and then lived 10 years as a monk in a monastery in the foothills of sierra nevada mountains and then something also quite interesting so very unique blend daniel is uh, i was a director so daniel was a director of development at of business development at hay house and played a big part in helping it grow from three million to a hundred million over the next 10 years that's a lot of money so very unique <laughs> blend interesting 5d personality uh daniel is a rare blend of mystic and business guy whose ability to see the world differently has drawn people, companies, and governments to invite Daniel to work with them to jumpstart innovation. That's so cool. And lastly, respected author. Uh, Daniel is a storyteller, and he has a book called The Mosaic. Yes, so, Daniel, now I'll let you talk. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate your time. Just amazing that we're here together. Yeah. It's my honor. I think from what you said, the only place I can go is down. So I should just button my lip and say goodbye and thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is just so much. First of all, what the rabbi. So could you tell me a bit about that? What's all yeah. that about? So the story is not as disconnected as it seems. It seems pretty disconnected when you hear the, all the parts. Yeah. But like any, mo any beautiful mosaic, it all comes together. And the thing that really brings it all together is that I lost my mom and dad two years apart on the same day when I was just a kid. And so my life took a different meaning for myself than what most people, most of my friends were just thinking, how do I date this girl? How do I wow. get more money? How do I do this? I was more concerned with why in the world are we here? My heroes were taken from me. From me. My dad died when I was 13. Oh, wow. And my mom two years later on the same day, the same time, when I was 15. Oh, my. And so um, I wanted to know why. I wanted to know what, where in the world would I find meaning. So I moved in with my aunt and uncle that we really didn't know. They were, they... We lived in the East Coast. They lived in the middle of the country of America. And it was 50 years ago. So that was a long time ago. And the world was a lot larger than internet wasn't around. You know, I think fax machines were maybe just starting. Television had just gone into color. You know, it was just, it was a different time. And so when we moved to the Midwest, we moved in with a, we were a lower middle-class family. And we moved in with my mother's sister and her husband. And her husband was a household name around the world. So he was a multi-billionaire 50 years ago. Oh, wow. And when I came in, he said, this could be interesting. He had three daughters. And 50 years ago, a man didn't give his business to his daughters. They, it just wasn't something you did. Thank God that's all changed. They were smarter, more talented. At least two of the three of them were. And, but when he saw me, he said, okay, this could be the answer to a problem that I've been having because I want my 
it's business to be staying in my family. So long story already way too long. He offered me to take over, to learn, to work my way from the bottom to, the, to where his seat was, that he would mentor me every step along the way. I ended up turning that down and walking away from a billion dollar company to hitchhike around the world because it wasn't mine to do. And I needed time to find out what was going on. I had already done two years of college. I already knew what I didn't want to do. I wanted to find what I did want to do. And along the journey, I went in hitchhiking around the world. I ended up in Israel, studied five years in a, in a rabbinical school. And one day before I was ordained, I said, I can't get ordained in this path because I don't believe what the rabbi believes. And I, it would lack integrity for me to be in his or in ordained in his name and then take it into a different dimension. And I said to him, um, I'm not gonna go through with it. And he said, why? I said, because I, want, I don't wanna bring discredit to your name by taking my Judaism in another direction that you wouldn't be proud of. And he said, I respect you for that, but you should just get your, you should just pass. You can have the diploma, you can, whatever you do, you can have the diploma. I said, it means nothing to me if I can't do what I wanna do. And so I, five years of my life was dedicated to having this diploma in his mind that wasn't in mine, where I, for me, I learned a lot of things there. Um, but one of them was to stand up for myself in a place where no one was standing up for me. <laughs> if, I couldn't, if I couldn't walk into what I was doing with my heart and soul, I shouldn't walk in at all. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a story, Daniel. Yeah. Wow. Just and wow. we're only skimming the surface. I'm, I'm for the yeah. for brevity, I'm trying to uh, gloss over some things. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, that's just so much, <laughs> so much. Wow. So how did you, first of all, I can't imagine what it was like to lose both your parents at 13. That must yeah. have been really hard. Well, I lost my dad when I was 13, my mom when I was 15. So they were two years apart on the same exact day. Oh, on the same day. Oh my. Yeah. And so um, they, my dad was my hero. I was, I was a mini me before mini me's were invented. I, I waddled like him. I looked like him. I laughed like him. I smiled like him. I walked like him. Everything about us was the same. Mm -hmm. And when he, when he passed, um, I couldn't make any sense out of it. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I ended up doing is I ended up making up a story that had no truth to it, but it comforted me because mm -hmm. the pain, the most painful thing for me was how could I lose my hero randomly for no reason at all? And I didn't want to live in a random world where people could be taken like that because I had no control over it, no protection around it, no, no way to deal with it. So I made up a story that if I would have woken up to see my dad before he left on a business trip, like I told him I would, he would not have died six weeks later making love to my mom of a heart attack. There's no truth to that story, not one iota, not one thing about me not waking up to say goodbye to him when I told him I would and he told me, Joe, stay in bed. I'm saying goodbye to you now. None of it makes sense. But to a 13-year-old kid, it made a lot of sense.
The problem is that story stayed in me and manifested itself countless times in that situation and other situations where I would blame myself for things that I didn't even do because I didn't want to live in a random world where things happen for no reason. So I would become the burden of that reason. And that weighed on me and hurt me and, and destroyed me. Right. And none of it, and it was all around things that weren't even true. Right. I can relate to what you're saying about well, the way you say it, it makes so much sense. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. When, because when I was 13, my mom also died. And I also oh, wow. had a similar, similar thing where if this, I thought it was my fault as well for me yeah. and that wasn't really yeah. addressed and there was a lot of blame as well a lot of guilt yeah yeah well there's so many times that we do that we think something happens it has to be our fault mm-hmm. when it has nothing at all to do with us there's there's not one thing that you did to cause that to happen to your mom i don't know you at all but i'm i would bet <laughs> i would bet a, 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 a lot of money on the <laughs> fact that you did nothing to, to make your mom pass away mm. But the story we believe is it was our fault. And that just riddles us then with, you know, guilt and shame. And, and I'm, not, I'm not good enough. And who am I to do that? And look, I can't have people come close to me because if they come close to me, they're going to get hurt. And that was the story that I made up. But yeah. I still carry 60, almost 60 years later. Wow. Wow. And so what woke you up to the story or to... Did you always know the story was there or was there a moment where you became aware? I think just saying it over and 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 over. All of a sudden one day I said, well, what if that story is just not true? Like, how would it be possible that me not waking up to say goodbye to my dad would have had any relation to him dying, making love to my mom of a heart attack six weeks later. Like now you're an adult, you don't need the comfort of living in a random world. That was 30, 40 years ago. Now make sense of this story because what you're doing is you're blaming yourself in countless situations. I have a developmentally delayed daughter, so that was my fault too. My wife passed away of cancer, that was my fault too. My, my, uh, you know, whatever, whatever happened, all of it became my fault, but there was no fault there. I was living a make pretend life where I was just basically beating the daylights out of myself for no reason, because it wasn't anything I did. It would be one thing if I did something and I beat the daylights out of myself, that would be bad enough because that would show judgment and, you know, and being hard on myself. But in these cases, it, it was all fabricated stories. At some point, a fabricated story just has to become unfabricated. Right. And so for you, how did you go about unfabricating? Um, Great question. When the truth stares you in the eye so long and so hard, eventually you have to look at it. And so I realized everything in the world was speaking to me. My body was speaking to me. The events that happened in my life were speaking to me. My business was speaking to me. Um, The environment was speaking to me. And so I started to talk to the story that I created. And I said, what is it you would say to me if you could say something to me and I would actually listen? 
and it told me there's no truth to what you you believe. I said, come on, how can you say that? Of course it's true. They said, zero truth. And really, the dissolution, the dissolving of it happened about four years ago, five years ago, when I started to sit down to write the mosaic. Because in writing a story about the story of my life, I realized there were a lot of stories that I was telling myself in my life that just simply weren't true. Right. And it was fine to have a fabulized version of my life, but it was also, I had to know where reality and fable ended. Right. So I think the book helped me a lot to come to terms with some of it. And that's, gosh, how many years? So my dad died when I was 13. I started writing the book when I was 60. That's 47 years. Carrying that story around with me. And it's various adaptations. Mm -hmm. And so is that when the story was... You mentioned just before that the story, asking the story, if it could speak to you, what would it say? Is it when you were writing? Like, that's when you sort of asked, who did you yeah, ask? I had, <laughs> um, everything in the world has a voice. Right. You know, I, I have a developmentally delayed daughter and she helped me a lot to see that because the way she speaks, people can't understand her. So what I noticed is when she would speak and not get understood, then she would, she would scream it. She would say it louder. And with me, she was right. I was getting older. Probably my ears were going, you know, not as good. But it wasn't because of her volume that I didn't understand her. It was because she lacked clarity in her pronunciation. And when I couldn't understand her, when she would scream it, then she would tantrum. And then when she tantrumed, then I didn't understand that she would attack. And I watched this pattern that she developed in her process, which was speak, yell, tantrum, attack. We had a moment where she allowed me to find her eyes. And she was running to attack me one day. I said, Elisa, with her eyes, she normally didn't give me her eyes. I said, Elisa, you know I would do anything in the world for you. I'd give every sin I had to understand those six words you're saying if I could. I just can't. Can you find a way to speak to me that doesn't use words? And she said, I, I am daddy. First time clear English, she, she spoke. I said, I'm sorry, what the expletive deleted are you talking about? What do you mean you are daddy? How are you doing that? And she went like this. She put her finger to her side of her head. I thought that she was telling me that she was speaking to me through her thoughts, through telepathically speaking to me. But even with that evidence, I said, I, I, I had to get clarification on it. I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head? And she went, yes, daddy. And we started laughing and laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> we laughed probably for 20 minutes at a time, just contagiously. <laughs> She would stop, I would go on, I would go on, she would stop. But after 20 minutes of laughing, I noticed something interesting. She never yelled, tantrumed, or attacked again. Because now she found a way to communicate to me. She found a way that I could understand her. She found a way to tell me 
listen in your thoughts when I'm speaking. When I'm get when I get frustrated, I'm going to talk to you with my thoughts. And I heard that. When I wrote the mosaic, I wrote the story. I know how to save a file. But the characters wouldn't let me save the file. They would disrupt them. They would corrupt them. I would save them in the evening and I'd come back to look at them and they were gone. And I said, what the doggone heck is this? I mean, I know how to save a file. It went on for three years. Until finally I said to the characters, characters that I made up, they were my creations. I said to them, what the hell is going on here? Why won't you let me finish this book? And they said, we don't want to say what you're telling us to say. I said, I'm sorry, with all due respect, I made you up. I created you. I should have some liberty as to what I want you to say, right? And they said, yeah, you can. If you do that, it'll take you another five years to write. I said, what's the alternative? They said, just listen to what we're trying to say to you. Just say what we're saying to you. This is what we want to say. If you write that, you'll be done in 30 days. 30 days to the day I was done with the manuscript. Everything talks to us. We just have to find the way it talks to us. And if we don't, then it will tantrum. It will scream, tantrum, and attack. I saw it in the businesses I worked with. I saw it in government that I worked with. I saw it in families that I worked with. I saw it in schools that I worked with. I saw it in hospitals and in the ways our bodies talk to us. There wasn't anything that I didn't see it in. And so I found it a little bit ironic that a girl that I could never have a conversation with for 31 years has taught me how to understand the dynamics of conversation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so when you say the characters, you ask the characters, could you just help me understand what you mean by that? Was that like an inner dialogue? Was it? I actually brought them on like a Zoom call. And I thought like, you're some, you're like a weirdo. I mean, who, who does that? But I visualized them on a Zoom call. Oh, you visualized them? together okay. in a room. And I, and I said to them, what the hell is going on here? And they, they just said, we don't want to say what you're saying. And so I always thought I was a weirdo and I should be locked up for that. I thought, how, I mean, who does that type of thing? <laughs> But a, a few weeks ago, I spoke with someone and he said, oh, that's what Charles Dickens used to do. He would see his characters. He would invite them into the house. He would sit with them and have a cup of tea with them. And he would ask them what they want to say. And he would listen to them and he would write what they wanted to say. I said, I had no idea that ever happened. I just thought I was some strange mofo. <laughs> and he said, no, that's a lot of writers did that. But I never knew that. So what I'd like the people that are listening to this to take away from it is what would you hear if you could hear what you don't hear? If something's troubling you, what would happen if you just spoke to it like a friend? Just like you and I are speaking. What if you were to say to it, I'm not getting it. What do you want to say to me? 
if you could tell me what you really want to say, what would you say? So you don't have to yell, you don't have to tantrum, you don't have to attack. What do you say? I really want to hear what you want to say. Tell me. And just let it speak. By, by let it speak, do you, how did it speak to you? How did the characters, could you really walk me? Yeah. You, for anyone who's ever done any meditation, they know silence speaks. Each one of the characters had their own voice. When I was quiet enough to just let them, to say to them, Trash man, what do you want to tell me? I would hear the trash man's voice. Just like I'd say, Nick, what do you want to say to me? You're going to tell me, you're going to say something. I hear your voice. They're no less real than you are, my friend. <laughs> wow. The environment is no less real than you are, my friend. Your business is saying the same thing to you. <laughs> it's no less real than you are. Everything has a voice if you just listen. Hmm. And it's a particular voice. So you can hear it. You'll hear it in the way you hear it. Your business will not sound like your environment. Your environment won't sound like your body. You'll be able to distinguish these voices are different voices than the ones I heard before. Who's talking to me? You can ask them who's talking to me. <laughs> and listen to what they say. So when you're talking about voices, it sounds like you're really you're speaking about like voices, not not that these things can silently can they silently speak to us as well, or is it also? But when I'm talking to them, I have no idea if you're real or not, Nick. I'm talking to you on a screen. You live somewhere thousands of miles away from me. Yeah. I have no idea if this is a real conversation or not. But it seems real. You seem like you're here. You seem like you're responding to what I'm saying. Mm. When I saw them, I didn't, they were no less real than you are. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a. I want to try. I'm going to use that. <laughs> try it. Yeah. Try yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So it just dawned upon you to ask. They know I was so frustrated with my daughter. I was so frustrated that I couldn't, I couldn't understand what was going on. She just told me. Right. She was talking to me with thoughts. <laughs> they were talking to me as characters. Right. And they were proud of the characters they were playing. So they played in character. That was them. The trash man was the trash man. He talked like the trash man. <laughs> wow. So that actually leads, well, I did read something on your website, just a bit about the mosaic. You mentioned archetypes. Could you talk a little bit about what that is, what the book is, what the archetypes are? So in the book, there are probably 18 different characters that Mo meets. He sets out on a journey to really understand why his parents passed away and where they were. And the adults told him they were in a place called heaven. So he sets out in his mind to find heaven. What he's really looking for is what's his purpose in life. 
And the people he meets along the way are not the people you would imagine that would tell him what his purpose is or wherever it is. They're a trash man and a homeless man, a blind woman and a, and a waitress, a gardener and a juice man, a traveler and a street artist. Not, you know, your, not your starting roster for what <laughs> most parents want their kids to become, right? <laughs> But he meets them and he sits with them. And Nick, in every single case, when he took the time to ask them questions and to listen to them, he saw an entirely different human being than the person he saw when he first walked up to them. Who they became had so much more texture, had so much more um, beauty than the person he originally saw. And so, what the mosaic showed me is that if we would just take the time to listen to the people that are in our lives, to the people we don't even think exist because we pass by them so quickly, if we would just take time to listen to them, they would tell us stories that would make us marvel. They could be the, they could be the next New York Times bestselling book if we would let them tell the stories. They make a great movie, but we don't even see them. They're like invisible. We treat them like animals or things. Or we don't even take the time to be with them. And when you say listen, is that could that also be in a non-verbal way to actually sort of, of open ourselves yeah i was i was on a street one time walking down a street and i could hear the bodies of people telling me what was going on in their bodies so much so that a woman had a, a woman had a heart murmur and i felt like my i was going to have a heart attack because i could feel her heart changing changing in me Another guy had bad knees and I, I fell down to the ground because I couldn't stand the pain that was in my knees. And they were just passing me. As soon as they passed me, it was gone. Nobody said anything to anybody. Just, just was a feeling what I felt. So in all of your experiences, if you had to share like the one thing to deepen listening and to really help listen, what would that be? There are a lot of experiences. I'll tell you a story. Around the time that I was feeling people's pain, I was in San Diego walking downtown and I felt so much pain. I didn't feel the pain that crumbled me to the ground like that other day that I did. But people would pass me by and I just felt, um, I felt uneasy because I felt all the things that were going on in their bodies. And as I listened more and more, it just felt uncomfortable. So I worked my way to the side of the street where this pavement meets the building. So there's a little place there where you, it's like a little chair on the ground 
where the, you sit on the ground and you put your back against the building and it feels like you're safe. Well, I was about to sit down and a guy said to me, you can't sit down here. I said, I'm sorry, we're in the middle of the street on a public street. What do you, do you own this a piece of property? He said, well, not really, but this is the place where I collect money. I'm homeless. And this is sort of my corner. I said, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to take anything from you. I'd be interested to get to know you. I'm going to sit with you here. He said, no, no, if you do that, I'm not going to make any money. I have to make money every time, every half an hour. <coughs> every half an hour, I make $5 a half an hour, $10 an hour. And I have to make that money because I have people that I support. I work 18 hours a day. I make 180 hours, $80 a day. And I have other people that are homeless that can't do this. So I support them. So I can't have you taking that money away from me. So I put my hand in my pocket, in my wallet, and I looked and I saw I had a $50 bill. And I said, here, I'd like you to take this. He said, what are you giving me $50 for? I told you I make $10 an hour. Are you spending, planning to spend five hours with me? I said, I don't think so, probably not. So he says, so what are you giving me this money for? I said, I just want you not to have to worry. I just want to sit here and be with you and talk to you. We'll also make money in the hat. Don't worry, we'll, we'll do something to get money in the hat going. But I, I probably won't take more than a half an hour of your time. He said, okay, you're crazy, dude, sit down. <laughs> so I sat down and, and it took him a little while to warm up to me, but I looked at him and finally I said, all these people passing you by on the street. If you could put them in an auditorium or in an arena and you could say one thing to them, what would you say to them? He didn't even think for a minute. He just jumped right in. He said, I would tell them to take 10 minutes out of the course of their life and go sit with somebody they don't know and ask them how they're doing. I said, Corey, that's beautiful, but why that out of all the things? You could have said, let's end homelessness, let's get people off the streets, let's feed people, let's do, why that of all things? And he said, Danny, you've told me a few stories, I'd like to tell you one. I said, with pleasure. He told me of a time where he was sitting and he hated being homeless. He had lost all respect for himself and he couldn't stand the fact that he would he would sit on the street corner and just have to beg people for money and he hated it to the core of his being he hated it but what he hated even more was the way people treated him they didn't even treat him like an animal they treated him like a thing like he wasn't even there people would walk by they'd spit on him or kick him or yell at him or hit him group of guys came up young guys and he thought oh good hi guys how you doing and they beat the daylights out of him He said, I decided that night I was going to go around the corner. The street behind us is the street and it's a quiet street. I'm going to go to that corner and I'm going to, I'm going to take my life tonight. Two moments later, a man in a three-piece suit came up, put his hand on his shoulder and said, how are you doing, brother? And Corey, my friend now, said to him, it's not a good time, sir. Keep walking. Please just keep walking. 
you don't you don't really want to know how I'm doing. I'm I'm not doing good at all. I'm not happy. I'm not doing good. Just keep walking. The man said, there's no way in the world I'm going to do that. And he sat down next to Corey, he put his arm around him, and Corey, for an unexplainable reason, put his head on his shoulder, on the man's shoulder. And as he put his head on the man's shoulder, he just started crying. And the man looked at him and said, it's okay, my friend, cry. You have lots of tears in here. Corey cried for a few moments. And then he started to tell the man all the problems that he was having, all the things that he hated about being homeless, all the situations that were going on. And the man just held him and listened. When the man left, 10 minutes had passed. And Corey couldn't take his life anymore. Because now an important man in a three-piece suit sat down with him and listened to him tell a story for 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Not very long. And so what Corey said to me, if people would only take 10 minutes out of the course of their life, they have no idea what impact that could have on another person's life. You could literally save a person's life by taking 10 minutes and acknowledging the person. He said, I wish I would have found that man again and told him that I didn't take my life because of him, but he never came back. And likingly, I wish I could have found Corey again because I wanted to tell him that I went back to that corner so many times that Corey was never there. I wanted to tell him the impact that he made on me, the story that he told me had really affected me and that I went every time I went into a boardroom to speak or in a school or in a hospital or in a podcast or in a, or, or a seminar, I made a commitment to try and tell Corey's story somewhere along the line and to challenge the people that were listening to me to take 10 minutes out of the course of their life. 10 minutes. Do you have 10 minutes out of the course of your life? Yeah, you do. Take 10 minutes and go up to someone you don't know and just ask them how they're doing. You don't need to fix them. You don't need to help them. You don't need to buy them anything. You don't need to take care of them. Just listen to them. I wanted to tell Corey by now millions of people had heard his request. Just through me and probably others were saying the same thing, but just through me, millions of people had heard his story. But I never saw Corey again. It's my hope that Corey will be sitting on a street corner some point in time and someone will come up out of the blue and said, say to him, how are you doing, brother? I heard this story about someone who took 10 minutes out of the course of their life and Corey would just smile with him. He would realize it was his story that had now circled around the globe and he was here with him. This fellow was here with him because of the story he told to some man. It's not hard to change the world. It takes little actions. It takes 10 minutes. And suddenly the world's a different place. It's really easy. I'm so happy we met. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's really beautiful.
So Corey is just one of these people you've met along. And is this all whilst you were traveling, hitchhiking, or? It's been through the course of 66 years of my life. About four of those were hitchhiking stories. But there are 62 <laughs> years left. And I've been fortunate enough to be with the richest people in the world and the poorest people in the world. And Nick, what I found from all of them was the same thing. No matter how rich they were, no matter what color their skin, no matter what religion they practiced or didn't practice, no matter what border they lived behind or didn't live behind, no matter how big their house or how torn their cardboard box, they all wanted the same three things. They wanted to be listened to and heard. They wanted to be loved and accepted. And they wanted to be acknowledged and validated. And when I realized I could do that for people, everything in my life changed. It's the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> anybody can do it. It doesn't take, it doesn't take anybody to do that. <laughs> I'd be really interested to hear, because I saw on your website um, that you work one-on-one -on -one with people. Uh, yeah. I'd be interested to understand your, how you, what's your perspective on how, how you work with people and how, yeah. Do you fix like, how do you, no, yeah. No, so you just sit. No. Um, I was paid a lot of money in my life to fix people, to fix businesses, to fix governments, to do a lot. I was sought after and people came. I was a really good fixer. Problem is I didn't believe a word of it. <laughs> because I didn't believe anybody needed to be fixed. What I saw is people wanted to be loved. That's all they wanted to be, be. And so what I do with people now is so simple. It's all so simple. It all makes so, so much sense. We complicate everything in our lives by making it so verbose, and, but it's really so simple. I ask people to take a look at their life. And I ask them if the mosaic of their life makes them happy to see. When you look at your mosaic, are you happy? Is it a, are you in alignment with who you actually are? Are there pieces in your mosaic that don't seem to be you, that are, that are made up stories, that are fabrications, that are, that are just protection pieces? Or is every piece in your mosaic, is every picture that you're showing of yourself in every situation just so resonating with you that you feel good about yourself? Most people answer, no, it's not. I don't feel good about myself in most cases. And so all we do then is we just go in and open it up and take a look at the pieces. And we rearrange some of the pieces in the mosaic collection that you have. And by rearranging the pieces, we no longer are the same person. My friend Wayne Dyer used to say to me, Danny, if you change the way you look, look at the world, the world you see changes. But when you change the pieces of your mosaic, when you recreate a different picture, you can no longer function as the picture of the life that you were living before that. It's been altered. You can't go back. 
I mean, I, rec I reckon you can go back. You just have to change it back again. But why would you if your life isn't giving you happiness, if your life isn't giving you joy? We just dissect the pieces. And we say, we work with it until it gets to a place where you say, ah, that's what I look like. That's what I feel like. That's me. Simplest process in the world. But most people aren't courageous enough to throw some of those pieces away. And how long have you been working with people like this? Um, the way I've done it has changed, but it's happened since I was a kid. <laughs> it just seems like that's what I came in here to do. Right. I mean, I think I was fixing people more. And now I just love people. But here's what I, here's, here was a big dilemma that I had. Because I've always been a spiritual guy. But I had a really big dilemma. because, And I have a punching bag outside my bedroom because I wanted to give God a good shot to, to the kidneys when I saw him, if I ever saw him, for all the pain that people feel. So I've been practicing my punch to the kidneys on the off chance that I'll get a chance to see him for a minute and lay one on him. And why do I want to do that? Because I found that people are living in such pain. People have made so many prayers of things they really, really want that have not been delivered. And I was just wondering, why in the heck? Like, if my daughter would ask me for something, I would go out that evening and get it for her. Why is the one that's so much greater than I not do the same thing for his children? I sat with it. I fought him. I fought him a lot. I said, why in the heck won't you do that? You're a stinker. The answer I received back blew my mind. He said, I've answered all their prayers. Everything they want is on the other side of the wall they put up to protect themselves. They just can't get into them. So when you love people and accept people, when you listen to them and hear them, when you acknowledge them and validate them, when they feel safe in your presence and they do that, those walls they're going to take down because they don't feel, they feel safe. They don't need them. And they're going to be flooded with the prayers, the answers to the prayers, the things they've asked for. And Nick, I can't tell you how many people just in the simple process of that process tell me oh my god i don't have back pain i don't have my I, I i found the i found the woman i want to be with and the man i want to be with i all of a sudden five business opportunities came to me this week i don't know where they came from out of nowhere all of a sudden people that i hadn't talked to now i'm suddenly talking to again and i really like them and i miss them and i'm so sorry we got to into a fight energy is an amazing thing Energy knows no limitations. It doesn't know what it think what we think it can do and can't do. Love doesn't care if we're good to people or bad to people. It doesn't care how many people we've hurt or irrevocably damaged. When love comes into the room, love loves who's ever in that room. Doesn't know how to do anything else but. 
And so all of the people that are struggling to find, where will I find this love? Where will it happen? I've become a mailman. Someone place that love in a cardboard box that I carry around with me everywhere I go now. And I bring that cardboard box to this room so that anybody that's listening, just by the proximity of listening, knows that the gift will find them. And knows once they have the gift, there's no way to get rid of it. You can tuck it away and try and bury it. It doesn't matter, it won't, it won't care. And when I told that story to someone on another podcast about six months ago, they said to me, Danny, how do you do that? Tell people, people are going to want to know how do, how do they get that? How do they become, how do they do what you're doing? Tell me, what did you do to get that? And I said, I didn't do anything. It was like a grace. Some stranger dropped it in my backpack. I have no idea how it happened. And they said, Danny, that's irresponsible of you. You know, you got to tell people how, how to do this. You can't just give them this beautiful story and then not tell them how to have it. And, and I had no answer for him, Nick. Until a couple of weeks later, I called them back and I said, can we record three minutes more to add to the podcast? They said, sure, what do you want to say? I said, I want to answer the question because I've got an answer to your question now. When you're sitting at the banquet table, the table is abundantly filled with all sorts of meats and sweet meats and, and vegetables and fruits and sweets and all sorts of drink. And you see a place setting with your name on it. Would you ever go to the coast and say, how could I get a place at this table? No, your place is already here. You've got it. What love said to me is they no longer need to know how to do it. Just like it was slipped into your backpack for no reason. You've just done that. Every one of your listeners has just received it. They don't need to worry, what do I do to get this love now? It's theirs. Now all they have to do is deliver it everywhere they go to the people they need. They don't even have to do that. It doesn't matter. They, they don't <laughs> but if they want, they can take it just like they were given it for no reason to another place and give it for no reason. And the bag will always be filled up again. That's just the way it works. Every day I give it away five, 10, 15 times a day. Every day when I turn around to go, it's back in my box. Not the one that I gave away, but a new one to give to the next place that I go. It's time for love to come back. It's time for us not to be scared. It's time for us to feel it and live it and be it and share it. It's way over time. I got a beautiful way with the words, Daniel. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, beautiful. And so, what have you found in all your experiences to be the greatest obstacle to love? The thought that I have to do something to get it. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I find people are running around thinking, how can I get it? How can I get it? How can I get it? What do I have to do? I look at, I did this and I was really good to this person and I helped this person and maybe I'll get love as a result of that. Love doesn't give a shit, pardon my language. <laughs> it really doesn't care what you've done. Love only knows how to love. When it's in the room with you, it will love you no matter who you are, no matter how many people you've hurt, no matter how many people you helped, no matter if you love yourself. I was in a room today with someone and they said, well, I did a, an Instagram live. And someone said, I just desperately want to know how to love myself more, but I just don't love myself. I just want to love myself more. I said, why? Love already loves you. You're being given the gift right here, right now. And love doesn't really give a crap whether you love yourself or not. Just let it in, let it love you. Even if you don't let it in, it'll love you. I know it goes against all the rules. All the rules are we have to work hard, we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to do this, we have to do that. And then love maybe will come to us, BS. Love is here. You don't need to work to get something that's in your pocket. And if you, so this is a great way to finish it off. <laughs> great yeah. way. If you, if you could leave the listeners with, um, I want to say one thing that they can do, but maybe just one thing. Just one thing. If you could leave the listeners with one thing, what would it be? I'll tell you what I do. I wear this bracelet that I made. It says, be kind to you. <laughs> it's a 21-day challenge where I have to practice kindness myself every single day for 21 consecutive days. When I find that I've been unkind to myself, I take it off of this wrist. I put it onto this wrist and the count starts again at one. <laughs> Doesn't matter if I was at 20 days here, it goes back to one. <laughs> it took me four months to get past the first day. Oh, wow. It took me nine months to get to 21 days, but it doesn't matter how long it takes. The process is exquisite because you start to realize how much we beat ourselves up, how much we sabotage ourselves, how much we put ourselves down, how unkind we are to ourselves. Just be kind to yourself. I want to get one of those bracelets. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> all invited to get a bracelet. Your one said, be kind to you. Yeah. You can get anyone. You can get something and write on it. Yeah. A little smile. If you weren't so far away, if you weren't so far away, I would say we're in America. I have them on my website, but it's too it's gonna cost way. <laughs> yeah. Get it to you. I'm sure you could get I I would imagine I really like emoji faces and smiley faces. Yeah. Yeah, get something, whatever it is, just as a reminder yeah. that that's what you gotta do. Mm. Yeah, it is really so helpful, isn't it? To just be I think we just have this idea that uh not being kind to ourselves helps us in some way or does something but really doesn't does it <laughs> it it couldn't be more destructive 
disruptive. It's a great word. Destructive. Destructive. Both words great. <laughs> Both words great. It, 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 imagine this is what you're doing all day. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so then eventually what you're going to do is going to go, ouch, that hurts. So I'm going to do this. Depends. So I'm going to put up, a, I'm going to defend myself with a wall that I put up. But look how close that wall is to my face. It's two millimeters from my face. And I don't know if I'm going to hit myself in the face or in the chest or in the balls or in the knees or in the feet. I don't know where I'm going to hit myself. So I build that cylinder two millimeters all the way down my body. And then I wonder why I don't have intimacy or feel something because all that happens when I meet somebody is my wall meets your wall. There's no intimacy there. There's no into me see. Nobody sees me. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> right? So how can you have intimacy if you don't let anybody see you? Mm -hmm. Pretty hard. There's a great uh, Course in Miracles uh, statement. It's really good. It really changes up. I, when I defend, I am attacked. Really switches up the way you see it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. Of course, miracles is beautiful. Mm. But the whole idea of needing to defend means I am being attacked. Mm. Right. If you, if you, if you weren't being attacked, you wouldn't need to defend. So I love that. Mm sort of like an act of surrender to just drop the defenses and sort of see what's on the other side when you don't have defenses, because obviously you don't know until you actually yeah. drop it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It really is quite beautiful. And so I'm curious, you said if you ever met God, you wanted to give him a kidney shot. And how, how's that now after you got the answer? Oh, I don't think I would give him a kidney shot. I'd probably okay. give him a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> He might give me a kidney shot for even thinking I could, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No kidney shots anymore. Maybe shots at the bar. I'd take a shot at the bar with them, but you know. <laughs> you know, your your whole look actually reminds me of a dream I had. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> no, um it was it was I was in a in the light of an intensive. It's like this sort of retreat basically like an intensified intention around this question of what I am. Um, and I had this dream and the whole point of the retreat was to have a direct experience of, of what you are. So I had at the end of the four and a half days, actually on new year's, it's pretty cool on the night of new year's. Wow. Um, I had this dream and in the dream, there was a, I was in a building like a, you know, like a story, one of those story towers. And I looked out, there was an ocean and then suddenly there was a massive tsunami and it wiped us, wiped me, whatever was there, everyone out in the dream. And I, still in the dream, I woke up and opened my eyes and everything was white. And then standing next to me or sitting next to me was this man who I perceived to be God, but like God as a friend, as a friend. Yeah. Um, dressed in like in white with a beard and I, the first thing that came out of my mouth was just a question. I just asked, what is the question? And 
the only reply I got was there is no question. And then from the dream, I was like <coughs> woken up by this intense white light, like radiant. And it sort of like pulled me out of the dream and I awoke. Um, and like the whole world was transformed and I could see divinity in, in everything. And I just saw it. Beautiful. And there were angels singing as well. It was so beautiful. And then it sort of passed as these experiences passed. And then I remember I was just, I was just, I found myself laughing because even after all this, all the thoughts came back, the stories. <laughs> and I was just laughing for five minutes, like you and your daughter, you mentioned uncontrollable yeah. laughing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, yeah. Yeah. It's like that laughter is a recognition of how, how funny it all is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we take it all so seriously until we realize it's all not so serious. Yeah. We think we're so responsible for everything, but we're not responsible for anything. Mm. Oh. It's the big wake-up call. Mm. When we think that everything is a result, it's such a narcissistic way to live yeah. life. To think we have anything to do with anything. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the probably the greatest stories that we make up. Yeah ourselves yeah. <laughs> yeah totally totally yeah it's also interesting what you mentioned about being a different person because it is something that just came up in mind recently um around this well that really what we are is just an idea this person that we've constructed is entirely an idea and there's no reason we can't have a new idea 100 <laughs> percent. yeah we can have a new idea every breath mm. not just every morning Every breath, we have the chance to breathe in a new world and breathe out the world that exists and just feel that. Mm. Feel how beautiful it feels to just be the story creator of your book. You create the book that you're writing. The pages are still unwritten. What are you going to write on that book? How's your story going to play out? You can paint in it too if you want to paint in it. You can make music in it if you want to make music. How's it all going to happen? It's beautiful. And the whole, your idea of the purpose, you mentioned purpose at the start. What's your take on that, of all of it? <laughs> of the purpose of all of it? Yeah, of everything, the story. Um, maybe I believe this, I'm not sure. They tell a story from the teachings of India that talks about the fact that God was getting lonely. So he created humankind. And he separated them out and he put them on the earth and then humankind would come together in the evening and it would say, what are we doing here? We're like, and it would reconnect back to God and all of a sudden the play was over and he, he had no time to play and enjoy it. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put deception and I'm going to put delusion. In. 
and he created the same human beings, but he put delusion in. And instead of these people coming back right away, it had been hundreds and thousands of years. And he wondered what the heck happened to them? Where are they now? How come nobody's coming back? And it was because they forgot where they even belonged. They thought this had become their home. They thought this was where their final resting place was. But this isn't your home. It's a fun place to get to do some exercises. <laughs> but when it's time to go home, you go home to where home is. Not to where some make pretend places and you have no idea what it is. It's time to come home. Doesn't mean we have to leave this planet. We just have to live in this planet as if we know what home is. Mm. Right. Well, as you said that, what sort of struck me was because there was always a voice that said, like, what's the point? What's the point? And there was never a satisfactory answer. Um, but what came up is just beauty for the sake of beauty alone. <laughs> yeah. The point is to have fun and enjoy it. Mm. There's not, we're so, we're so serious. We have, we think we have to, like the creator created it. We're not, we don't have to create anything. It's not ours to create. The creator did the job. Now we just act it out and have fun and play here. It's like a playground for us. But we think we're so serious and we got to do this and oh, I got to do this and I'm going to do this. And, I was here because I did that. <laughs> and, there, and there is some of that. You were created here for a reason. And that reason is for you to do what you have to do in the way you have to do it because no one else will ever do it that way. And no one else will, will do it from that. Will be created from this time forward to the end of time because you've already done it. So there's some purpose to you being here. But I don't think it's as serious as you think it is. <laughs> that's a great that's a great note well i'll leave so i'll leave your um the mosaic book or your website which would you yeah yeah you can you can let's do both the book's called the mosaic i think you have amazon there and Mm -hmm. and, yes we do (laughs) so, so you can get it from amazon it also comes in an audible uh, an audio version. So oh, if you wonderful. like hearing my voice, you can get it on audio. Yeah, it's got a it's beautiful voice. Through. Very nice. Thank way. you. It's available through Audible or or Amazon. And you can go to my website, danielbrucelevin.com. And just you'll get a little bit of a, a flair as to what's going on. None of it is really relevant anymore because who's who can write down who they were yesterday and have it be who <laughs> they are today. Right? But you can, you can enjoy it. I'll give you some sense of who this person is who's laughing with you here yeah cool i saw i'll leave that in the description for the listeners uh thank you thank you very much and what an honor yeah listen thank you very much have a wonderful day